Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Driving to the Baskets, postseason edition, or at least postseason for the Pistons. Not postseason as in the playoffs, just as in the season being over. Recording this the day after the season finale, a loss against the Miami Heat, which locked the Pistons into the second best lottery odds. Now, for those of you unfamiliar with the how the odds work, uh, it's no longer like it was a few years back. Uh, this this actually changes were brought on by the process era 76ers. Uh, who basically just wanted to be the worst team ever in order to get the the best odds for the number one overall pick. So there was a lottery reform a few years back. Now the top three teams all get the same odds at the number one overall pick, 14% each. So uh, the top three teams all get the same odds also at uh, the top four picks. So for the Pistons uh, and for the Houston Rockets and the Orlando Magic, 14% at number one, 13.5 at number two, 12.7% at number three, and 12% at number four. So basically the Pistons have a 52% shot at picking in the top four. That's we're really looking, you know, looking at the draft, which we will uh, sum up in much greater detail uh, over the coming weeks. Uh, so 52% shot at picking the top four, which is really uh, right before I lost my train of thought, I was going to say is, is really where it looks like the best talent is. So beyond that, Pistons will have a 28% shot at picking number five and then 20% picking number six. So, uh, whatever the case, uh, the season is over. Uh, it came and went very quickly, and uh, we, uh, myself, and and Tommy and Dante, are just going to talk about uh, our thoughts as to, to how the season went. Now that it's over, maybe look forward a little bit and uh, take it from there. So, really feels like the season has just absolutely flown by. It uh, doesn't seem like too long ago that uh, it was it was December and and we were just agonizing over what uh, what Troy Weaver had done in the off season. So, uh, yeah, uh, Tommy, how do you feel about it? About how the season went, and, and really, how do you feel now that it's over? I guess better better way of putting it. Now that it's over, I feel relieved. Uh, I think we were all kind of concerned by the moves that were made in the previous off season in terms of the signings, all these weird random names. I thought. All of us were kind of expecting a more, I don't know, a less talented group of signings. But at the same time, this wasn't the best group either. So we were all confused by it. But now that it's over, I really think that it went really well. We still cured the second worst record, second best odds at uh, top pick. Actually, we're tied with three, two other teams for best odds. And that's... Honestly, the best you can ask for uh, is laying down this foundation of guys who work very, very hard and still coming out with really good odds at franchise level, changing talent. So I was very happy with it. I agree. It flew by the condensed schedule. Really did. uh, It it felt condensed. And I'm just relieved now that it's over. So I don't know how you're feeling, Dante. Yeah, it, it it flew by in a sense, um, in some ways for sure. Like it, it seems like it was just yesterday that we were wondering, like, why did we take a traditional center, you know, at at number sixteen, and how is Killian going to be, and how is Sadiq Bay going to perform, and Saban Lee was just an afterthought, and why did we sign Jeremy Grant? Why did we sign Mason Plumley? Like, yeah, it was like it was yesterday. You know, these questions that um, we were pondering all throughout the all throughout the off season, and then the season finally comes and. To, to me, I, it it's tough rooting for losses. Like it really is. It it runs counterintuitively to the to, to what it means to be a sports fan, right? And 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 so in that sense, the season was kind of long for me. Just this prolonged worrying. Like, are they going to finish bad enough to where we've got good odds to land X pick? And it it gets to be a bit tiring. And 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 we've touched on this uh, many times actually, especially these last few months. You know, it's just not fun to do that. But as the season sort of progressed and kind of leaving out the the worry about are we losing enough. It was a lot of fun to watch the rookies progress, obviously. It was a lot of fun to see the emergence of Jeremy Grant. Um, and, you know, there, there were some nice surprises along the way, like Frank Jackson and the Diallo trade. And so overall, I think this is going to be, um, it's kind of like, like Weaver said today in his press conference, it's now you're just, you're shoveling the dirt onto the foundation of what's eventually going to be hopefully a really nice championship winning house. So, it was not the most fun season. You know, it was interesting. It wasn't fun to root for losses. But at the very least, I think there are a lot of things that occurred 
this past calendar year that are really going to set us up in the future. So overall, it was long in some ways, it was short in some ways, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy that it's over. Yeah, I feel uh, really honestly, relief was the main thing uh, for me after the season ended. Uh, I just kind of felt like uh, <laughs> it's almost, you know, it, it wasn't that the season was unenjoyable. It's just that it, as it went down the stretch, like you said, Dante, it, it's not very fun to be rooting for the losses. Yeah, it is. It just really does run run counter to the to the ethos of uh, you know just basic ethos of the fan. I would say it was for the best that the Pistons were losing, but going into every game, just especially like the last maybe month, and it, it just got the way the anxiety for me got more and more pronounced over the really as the Pistons ran down, even even down to yesterday. I it it just it just became uh became really stressful i guess you could say and i'm relieved kind of in the sense like uh in the sense of you know like you know you think back to uh, back to college it's like um you know finals are over you know if you feel like you did well let's go out and get completely hammered something like that you know, yeah. it's not like yeah. so it uh, the relief is kind of like uh is is in a somewhat celebratory fashion for me because yeah, it's over and I don't, I don't have to root for the Pistons to lose and be anxious as to, oh my goodness, is this team of players that I like and a team that obviously I like, and it's the team I, I, uh, in which I'm very emotionally invested. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to go out there and just root for them to, of course, I don't, I don't want to be going in there every night and saying, God, please like Sadiq have a bad game, you know, or, or, <laughs> or something like that. No, and it's tough to compartmentalize too, because I don't know how you guys watch these games, but I would ultimately want them to lose. But then every time they're bringing the ball up the floor, like I want them to score almost all the time. And then depending on who the player is taking the shot, I like really want them to score. Like I never want Sadiq to miss. I never want Killian to miss. I want Stewart to splash every single three he takes. And so you're compartmentalizing all these different things in your head, like do well, but not too well. And then keep it close, but don't win. And, and, it, and it gets mentally exhausting, you know? And so not even, it, it goes further than just running counter to the to the sports uh, ethos there. It's just not even, it doesn't even make sense from a, <laughs> it's like if, if you're watching sports to enjoy them and now you're rooting for the team, like, yeah, like you said, you're so emotionally invested into it. Like, I really love this team and, and I don't want to see them go out there and go one and nine over their last 10. But unfortunately, due to the nature of the sport, the nature of the lottery, these are the types of things you have to root for, for, you know, a shot at sustained success, right? Well, it's, it's the nature of the market too. I mean, if you're, if you're a team in Los Angeles or in Miami or in New York, then you don't have to really worry quite as much about big free agents coming your way. And, you know, you don't necessarily need the lottery, then the balls will bounce your way in, in other ways. But, uh, yeah, so but it is the reality for Detroit. So this was it was something that needed to happen in the season. They, they it was really going to be big for them to lock in good lottery odds, and it ends. But like after that win against Memphis in particular, when it was really crunch time and the Pistons were really not going to want to win even one more game, that's when it got really stressful. But nonetheless, it went well. I think I can confidently say that, and and we did see the Pistons. The Pistons really alone amongst the tanking teams spent the entire season playing and developing their rookies, playing and developing their young players. So uh, we have the added bonus of not only are the Pistons going to have, well, at the very least, the top six pick, and hopefully, you know, the higher the better, obviously. Uh, not only that, but uh, there were actual tangible benefits to the season at large uh, versus a team like, you know, or Orlando, which was bad because they tried to see it was a combination of injuries and trading people away and uh, or Oklahoma city who really played a bunch of scrubs or Cleveland who, sorry, Cleveland, you just suck. <laughs> That's no way of putting it. You tried to win, but you suck. Uh, so yeah, it, I'm glad it's over and I'm, I'm glad it went the way it did. Yeah, exactly. Looking at now that it's over, we can, we can look at it as we got the results we wanted. This was honestly the, a really, really good first year for a rebuild. Normally a team doesn't get this type of talent and this type of record. And then the establishing of this culture has been fantastic. You don't get that in the first year. Look at Houston. Like, look at how bad they had to be this year to secure those top odds. We didn't have to deal with that. Like, yeah, it would have been nice if we had gotten those top odds, but it would not be worth it, I don't think, 
uh, like right now where we are, it's just a one in five chance that we fall out of the top five. And I think the benefits of everything that has been brought in this season just outweighs that significantly. Yeah, I'd much rather be us than the Rockets. Like, I don't even think that's a question. So if you look at it in terms of just simple, you know, exchange, it's like we would be exchanging what uh, the 20% chance that we fall to the sixth pick for. We got Jeremy Grant. We got Sadiq Bey. We got Isaiah Stewart. We saw the progression of Killian Hayes. Um, We uncovered some diamonds in the rough. We traded for Diallo. We've got what I don't want to say an excellent foundation because if it was excellent, we we wouldn't have been the second worst team, but we have a good foundation and we have a foundation that many, 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 I could even say probably most tanking teams uh, couldn't even dream of having, right? We've, we've got, we've assembled um, a good collection of talent that we can build off of. And if we strike gold here in the lottery, like I'm talking picks one, two, or three, I think we're an easy, you know, at least play-in team next year. And at that point, it's like, what more could you really ask for out of a rebuilding season? Yeah, it's it's interesting that uh, it was maybe a year ago. Uh, and this is before Dante joined the show full-time, but uh, it was it was a year ago, like less than a year ago, that Tommy and I were talking about how long we would like the rebuild to be. And I said, you know what, two years, I think I'll do it. Tommy, I know you were more for um, you know a more protracted process, and uh, obviously the the way that the Pistons went about it was different than than some teams uh, that, that many teams have in the past. It's just trying to be as bad as possible, really get rid of everybody. So that it's worth noting that that's not what happened this year. Uh, there were basically no outright tankers to begin the season. Uh, Houston dealt with injuries with Christian Wood. After they lost him, they went and. Uh, an, an unbelievable losing streak. Uh, the, the Rockets, after they lost Shai, uh, Gilgis Alexander, uh, the, the Magic lost Jonathan Isaac early, and then Markel Fultz, though he wasn't great before he went down. And so, uh, nonetheless, uh, the Pistons went about it differently, certainly, as in, in the, uh, the uh, compete while rebuilding. And I've got to say, a lot of games went the Pistons' way. A lot of things went the Pistons' way in general. Like Blake Griffin, if he'd come back, I've said it before, if he'd come back like 20% better than he was, if he had been just a solid starter with the Pistons rather than really bad, how many more games do you win then? He's still untradeable, but you might win quite a few more games before that, before you reach the point of just saying, okay, let's call it quits. Derrick Rose was not good with the Pistons. The Pistons uh, lost a lot of very close games. And uh, you hate to say that that's things going right. Like, you know, Sadiq Bey down the stretch, uh, whether he just, not the rookie wall, but, uh, you know, a player who, who's never played a schedule or anything like this against professional opposition. And it's condensed to, I think it may have just seen some fatigue down the stretch, but he had some really bad games down the stretch. And that was important with the Pistons losing, whatever the case. Uh I don't think I could manage another. I, I would not like to to sit through another year of hoping for the Pistons to lose. And and honestly, I, I think that this was the year. I, they're not going to basically. Troy Weaver has come out and said certain things. Like obviously, he's not going to go all out in in the coming off season. But it, it sounds like the Pistons are really just going to be focusing on developing and, and building from within. And 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 whatever happens next season will happen. So, yeah, it's. I don't think the Pistons are going to be quite this bad next season. I'm not sure if I think plans would be a big leap, but it's not out of the question. No, I I, I just think I know Tommy has a bit of a different opinion than, than than Mike and I do regarding how long we should tank for and what things are going to look like next year. But I agree with you, Mike. I there there isn't a world where Troy Weaver is going to go out and be like, okay, let's you know trade picks, let's spend every last cent we have bringing in the best free agents that we can, and let's really go for it in 2022 like no that's not going to happen but we have like like we uh, just 2022 we might oh, not, not go all out but this this coming off season you can't this really coming can't. off season rather yeah exactly so this coming off season i just don't i don't really see it happening and i don't see the organization having that mental um or at least internally saying to themselves we're going to go for it right now this year but the success is going to come number one as a result of continued player progression number two as a result of team cohesion because when you've got a talented passer like Killian Hayes, he's only going to get better and better and better um, as he builds chemistry with the guys around him. So I think that that'll be impactful, you know. And number three, 
that that's just what happens with young teams, right? Like, like you'd like to think that they're going to trend in the right direction um, without exterior help, or at least not much exterior help. So I, I think we're going to see a much better Pistons team next year, and it won't be by virtue of exterior, you know, additions or external additions. It's going to be by virtue of internal development. I 100% agree with you, Dante. I don't think they're going to go all out, spend all their money. They still have Blake Griffin's money on the books, I think, for one more year. So 2022 seems like the year that they would probably try to spend a little bit more, maybe go in on uh, building the team up in that sense. But I think this year it's going to be a lot more internal growth and maybe their their commitment to tanking is going to be reduced. I don't see them resting players down the stretch unless it's like maybe the last 10 games we can significantly improve our odds and like the play-ins out of the question, that sort of thing. But I don't think they're going to try so hard to get top odds again. I just don't see that because I think it, in one sense, like it is detrimental to the growth of some of these players. They're not going to get the, they're not going to build chemistry with some of these guys who have been resting. I think they want to avoid that. I don't think they're ever going to be like a 20 win team again. Uh, if I had to guess, it would probably be closer to 35 wins. That seems like a good leap. And then the year after seems like when they would be planning to go all in. So that's what I see happening. But I, I, do, I do agree with you. I don't think they're ever going to try to tank this hard again. I don't think we have to worry about the team trying to force losses uh, unless it's going to be like a last game, last 10 games type deal. So I, I, I think we are pretty fortunate to have a rebuild year one go this well uh, to where we could be in that position to start. Uh, but I would say uh, that it looks like it's worked out that way. So credit to Troy Weaver. Year one seems like it's gone really well. And if it's capped off by you know, a high draft pick, you call that a win. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it, I mean, it might as well at, at, at this point, I just pivot toward talking uh, about the job that Troy Weaver did. You know, it, it's of course, during the off season, there was a lot of anxiety amongst Pistons fans in general as to, you know, what's, what's he doing? <laughs> you know, of course, like uh, you're, you're going into a rebuild. You, you stretch salary to sign, really just to sign Mason Plumlee because you could have stretched salary without, you know, you could sign Jeremy Grant without stretching salary. And like, yeah, sure, you're, you're so you, you you stretch a bunch of salary in the first year of a rebuild when you're when you're clearly not trying to win. That's really really almost unheard of. And you you handed a pretty hefty chunk of change to to Jeremy Grant who is up to this point, a role player, Mason Plumlee, who is just a completely unremarkable center. And uh, it's like, have we picked up another lemon here? You know, what's this guy all about? He was really highly regarded. And what has he done? So I'm not going to, I'm absolutely, absolutely going to give Troy Weaver credit for the way things have gone. I'm not going to go so far as to say, like, he knew that this was going to happen. You know, he knew that it was going to go this way and that, the, you know, he just he calculated it the whole way. Of course, nobody's that smart. You know, if if uh, if if maybe like this is one of those uh, one of those science fiction situations when somebody is replaced his brain with an artificial super intelligence, you know, may, maybe then, uh, <laughs> though, probably the human race is doomed if that's the case. But, you know, yeah, I, I digress. Uh, so uh, so I, I, I do think he managed it. He managed things adroitly, certainly, and, and took some steps that I did not think he would. We knew that Derrick Rose would be traded most likely. You know, that was just likely to happen. And, you know, he did that. Uh, seeing Blake Griffin pulled from the lineup and then basically sent packing uh, with a thank you and here's $45 million to go away, uh, that was surprising. It was something that needed to be done, but it was surprising. Uh, I was very happy to see it. And... I'm sure that he, you know, and seeing DeLon Wright sent out, uh, probably in an effort, not only in an effort to get, uh, to get additional draft picks, but also to probably make the team a little bit worse. And also, I would imagine that Dwayne Casey probably spoke well of Corey Joseph, and and a lot of people, a lot of players, have spoken well of Corey Joseph, but who turned out to be better than expected, <laughs> which is a little bit irritating, but. And and then probably it was it was his guidance that that changed the uh, the Pistons uh, basically determined how the Pistons handled the lineup down the stretch with an eye toward not winning when it was really not going to be a good idea to win. So 
all while building what it seems to have been a very good culture, very good team culture. So I'm impressed with how he's done. Uh, and, and kudos to him for his first year. Yeah, I think, I think when we're talking about Troy Weaver, um, we, we mentioned this briefly one time before this was a few weeks ago, but I'll bring it up again. I think it's impossible to give Troy Weaver credit without, and I know this sounds crazy, giving Tom Gore's credit. And the reason you need to give him credit is because th- the fact of the matter is most general managers, um, and if you follow more than one sport, you, like, you don't have to follow only basketball to know this. There's only 30 or so general managers for a sport in one of the big four leagues in the, in the entire world, right? It's a prestigious job. And given such, you tend to see people in these positions, these high-level executives, be very, very prudent, right? And, and it's easy to tell these guys how to build a team like the way that you want to do it on 2K when you're playing franchise mode. But these guys have a prestigious job. They probably want to keep it. And so they, they act cautiously and then they're, they're slow to do crazy things. And obviously there are some exceptions, but for the most part, general managers don't tend to go crazy and tear it all down and make all these moves and, and you know, go, go out with their clip fully unloaded, like Troy liked to say. Um, I think the reason that the Weaver was emboldened to do that and to do such a total teardown and not only to tear the team down, but to reshape it almost entirely in his image or to his liking within one year, he had to have received a high level of job security. Like there's no way that Tom Gores told him, yeah, we're trying to win and we're trying to win as soon as possible. And then Weaver goes out and, and, and delivers this. I, I, you have to think that somewhere along the line, and I don't know who to credit, maybe it's Arn Tellum, maybe it's Ed Stefanski, maybe it's Dwayne Casey himself, which I doubt, but you never know. Somebody got in Tom Gore's ear and told him he has to change his attitude and his mindset on this organization, or they're going to be on the treadmill forever. They're going to go nowhere. And so to Gore's credit, his attitude change allowed Weaver to, and obviously we don't know if it's a rousing success yet. I mean, we can we can hope, but we're not 100% sure. We'll see how it plays out. But his attitude change allowed Weaver to do the things he needed to do to get this organization pointed in the right direction. I think you can credit Stan Van Gundy for that. He put such a crappy product together, kicking the can down the road, that it finally changed Tom Gores's mind. That's a good this is the point. first time since we since we've started since I've gotten back into the Pistons heavily, like that this is the first time that we've had a, a vision, you know, a long term plan. This isn't the team that's trying to just be as good as possible this year, get incrementally better. That just doesn't work in the NBA because these players, they get older, they get injured. Like they're starting from a point and they have a long term plan. And that's the big difference. And that's why this year was so much fun, because we finally feels like we have a foundation and something that we're building on and building towards. We didn't have that the past few years. So, yeah, definitely credit to Tom Gores for stepping aside and understanding that because I've wanted that for years and it's finally happened. I'm not willing to credit Tom Gores for behaving like a rational owner. The, the <laughs> leagues, yeah. I mean, the the world's success, you know, best owners of, of successful sports teams, what they do is they hire the right people, they give them the resources they need, and then they don't get in the way. And I feel like from Tom Gores, the, the Pistons have just he, he doesn't like he doesn't meddle on the on the personnel level, most you know the, by, by any indication, but. There's just been a lot of amateurish meddling by a guy who just seems to be treating it like one of his venture capital businesses. Like I'm coming in and we're going to make this a successful team and we're going to do it just directly. And it's like, you, it's not that simple and you don't know what you're doing and you don't know why you're meddling and, and your refusal to let the team rebuild and your employment of less than competent people is getting in the way of that. I think my perception, and this isn't based on anything but just timing, is that Ed Stefanski was the one who finally got through to him. Uh, Ed Stefanski, who was the real first real long-term professional basketball executive, uh, who you know whom Tom Gores had employed. Dumars, of course, just went straight into management with the Pistons. Uh, Stefanski had been involved for a long time, and uh, clearly Gores thought well of him. Uh, or Stefanski is just as a silver tongue because he went in as a consultant to help the Pistons hire a coach and a GM in 2018 and ended up hiring himself as the general manager. <laughs> so still the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. So, I mean, I've determined that the best for the job is me. Yeah, exactly. He's like, well, I think it'd more be like, well, I, I can't find anybody worthy of taking the job. So I guess we'll just, you know, kick that can down the road and I'll just do it myself. So, 
you know, it could be some combination of that. And maybe, maybe, I don't think this is the case, but maybe Tom Gora is seeing that, you know what, you get a star player in Blake Griffin and that doesn't make all your problems go away. Uh, you know, not that that trade had made any sense in the first place. And in my opinion, but we're not going to go over that again. Uh, I, uh, brother, I'm not going to talk about it again. If you've been a listener of this podcast, you've heard me talk about it many times already. And, uh, and it's good to call that one history now also. So I, like, I'm not going to give him praise for it. It's, it's like, okay, Tom, maybe you'd finally see now how a successful sports team is run. So, but it's nice that he was willing to stand back. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Mike. And speaking of aggressiveness, this is a point that I wanted to bring up when we were talking about Weaver, and I kind of digressed into Tom Gores. But if you want to talk about aggressiveness, my prediction, kind of looking down the line here, and I'm curious to know what your guys' thoughts are on this, but Weaver's aggressiveness that he employed um, to get these first-round picks to completely uh, raise the roster and build it re-back up in a completely different way. Um, I think when it's finally time to compete, whether it's, you know, let's say we're better than expected next year and around the trade deadline, hey, maybe we can make a push or even I don't expect that to happen. But let's say the year after, it's like, okay, this is our year. I expect that same aggressiveness to be implied or applied inversely and now he's, he's going to do it in a sense that maybe he makes a big swing and, and makes a big trade for a star player. You know, maybe he dishes out quite a few draft picks to grab someone who can help put us over the top. Maybe he makes these big, flashy free agency signings. Um, I don't think someone like Troy Weaver, who very clearly um, does his job going full throttle all the time, I don't think a guy like that only has one mode where he does it for tank, but he doesn't do it for winning. No, we're going to see aggressive Troy Weaver, and we're going to see it in a way um, that's targeted um, with the goal of winning, you know? So that's that's one of the thoughts I had, and, and I've kind of been sitting on that. So I'm wondering uh, if you guys agree or if you kind of view it differently. I definitely agree with you. This right now feels like we're sharpening the axe is how I like to think about it. It's a lot better, I think, to kind of acquire these assets, wait a little while while you're building this up, and then kind of explode out of where you're trying to get out of. Like, if we can... Once we make our move to try to compete, I think we're going to be like firmly in the playoffs. Like next year, yeah, it's like we're either in the play on play-in, maybe we get like the seventh or eighth seed. But when we're ready to compete, I think they're going to go crazy on it, and we'll have plenty of money to spend. Hopefully, by that point, maybe there's a free agent that sees what we're building, and we have some pull. I mean, it's still Michigan, but I agree with you, Dante. I, I definitely think they're going to be aggressive when they are ready to start competing. So that's a great point. I like that. Yeah, and uh, we were speaking on this a little bit earlier in the show as to uh, what what Troy Weaver has said that's that this upcoming offseason isn't going to be the time. There's still more development. He said that's the Pistons. You know, basically the way he put it, we're not going to have any open roster spots. It's basically just uh, a uh, another way of saying the Pistons are going to build from within, and not that the Pistons could do anything really much anyway. Uh, right now, assuming that they let go of Corey Joseph's non uh, of his contract, about ten million, actually ten million, of uh, of the twelve point six, I think he's owed next season is non guaranteed. So if they let him go, they're looking at about ninety two point five million to start the off season against a uh, cap of about one hundred and twelve million. Uh, if you're looking at uh, paying out about, it could be anywhere from like seven to. I think nine or 10 million, uh, depending on where the Pistons draft. And then maybe like uh, another couple million if they trade up uh, with the second round picks into the late first, or if they just take a couple of those second round picks onto the roster, which I doubt they will. That's, you know, that's like 10 million right there. And that, that leaves you only, uh, only about 10 million with which to work. The Pistons really can do much anyway. They're going to want to re-sign Hamadou in any events. Um, they can exceed the cap to do that. But, they're going to need to also upgrade Saban Lee's contract from two-way. It'll cost them another $1.5 million. Frank Jackson, whatever he's going to be paid. So this wouldn't be the season anyway. It uh, wouldn't have been the right time in any case. But they, they really couldn't have done it even if they wanted to. Like you guys have said, in 2022, you see Blake Griffin's money come off the books. And uh, and then maybe you make a splash then. Maybe you wait. Who knows? It depends on where you are at that at that point. But I'd say this, this, this season has gone well in, in terms of acquiring some of that foundational talents. We've all said it before, of course, that the best player on the Pistons next championship winning team is almost certainly not on the roster yet. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, 
agree with you, Mike. I, and yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. the season has gone well enough that Casey got extended, you know, and that's something we haven't touched on. And, and we're talking about, well, this season has gone so well that uh, we got these foundational pieces. We got this, we got that. And, and we should credit Casey too, because Casey has had a big hand in their development. And there were no three bigger critics of Dwayne Casey than the three of us right here um, earlier on in the season. We used to just get on here and just rip them. And honestly, my, my opinion of him, of, of, of him has improved so much just based on the bring them along slowly and this is how we're going to integrate the rookies and, and this is how we're going to do things. And it seems to have paid dividends, you know, in a big way. And I'm hoping that uh, those dividends are paid out for Killian as well. Um, I, I think we're going to see a very different player uh, starting next season and doing no small part to, to Casey's guidance and coaching. So overall, when I saw the news about the extension, it's, you know, if I would have seen that six months ago, I, I would have lost my mind. But now I'm pretty happy. Yeah, uh, Casey, I would say, I mean, we we said it and uh, we talked about him in our last episode. We had a, a actually a user submit a question as to will Casey be the, the coach of the Detroit Pistons next year? And clearly the answer, I mean, I think we we're all confident the answer would be yes. Clearly the answer is yes now. Uh, yeah, the, the extension is only for for one year, of course. And uh, one of the beat writers has said uh, that he believes Casey will go into a front office role of some kind uh, after he retires. But yeah, he's, he's certainly impressed me uh, as, as far as like, I used to look back to his Toronto days and say, well, yeah, certain players um, developed quite a bit under his watch, but correlation doesn't necessarily imply causation. And I still believe that to a degree, but I, I've been impressed with how he has, you know, how, how he has done with the young players and how, and how he's brought them along. I'm not going to look back and say that I think the way he was doing things the, the early on in the season was right. Uh, I, I think he, <laughs> uh, I think that may have just been an issue of, of, uh, of, of some poor coaching at the time, but whatever the case, uh, he's, he's, he's clearly, uh, pays a lot of, you know, he clearly pays more than due diligence to, to developments and to, and to the players as individuals and by all indications, they all like him. And, uh, he said something today, actually, that was uh, very self-aware, like, uh, uh, you know, not sound condescending. I, I just found it, you know, uh, it's just, it was just an instance of uh, him being kind of self-deprecating. I've I've dogged him in the past, certainly for being a coach who's too defensively focused in an offense first league. He came out today and said, "Yeah, I, I think is is the way he put it was he he cut his teeth on defense coming into the league, uh, but now he realized he recognizes an offense first league and you just got to focus on making and hitting more threes and." I'll say it again. I don't think Casey is the, is the player to coach this team when the Pistons start having real postseason aspirations. But uh, but you know, congratulations to him for for this extension. And uh, and and I think aside from the first quarter of the season, I think he did a fine job. That said, it helps that the Pistons were not actually trying to win because uh, I think with Dwayne Casey, when they are, it, the point at which you get irritated with them is when they really a team really is trying to win. And then you said you really see his flaws. Yeah, I think I said on the last episode, Casey's biggest issue in Toronto was that he was way too reliant on his best players down the stretch to the point where it was so predictable that it was kind of difficult for them to get shots off. But for the situation right now, yeah, I I really like the Casey extension. It shows that they believe in him. It's another vote of confidence and uh, projects stability to these young guys and all these guys who are uh, kind of still looking at this year. And it's like, well, was this really a success? We won 20 games. No, they, they accomplished what they wanted to accomplish. And I think part of that is not to go back to Weaver, but Weaver brought in the right guys for Casey. Like this is a guy, a group of guys who were very coachable. Uh, they seemed very open to what Casey's, I don't, I don't even know what the word would be. Like his philosophies would be uh, as far as how you're supposed to play you see this common theme of from these guys is like you have to be ready to play and that's that was true even of teams in the past few years and that's huge credit to Casey for that one because uh, these guys come in with the right attitude and I think that that has been huge for the culture of this team and the rebuild Uh, Casey's definitely been a great guy for managing player personalities and in that sense I think he's a fine candidate to lead the Pistons for a few more years. Yeah, Tommy, that's a phenomenal point. You know, the idea that 
Weaver is bringing in these guys who are culturally and ideologically um, perfect matches for what, you know, Casey and, and the organization as a whole want to do. And I think fans, a lot of the time, they get so hyper-focused on, okay, it's either bottom out and get the top pick or go all in and try and win a championship. And they, and they kind of lose the minutia, you know, in, 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 in the bigger picture. And really, you, when you think about it, the, the attitude of the locker room, the attitude of the team, that plays a huge, huge part in success, you know, sustained success. And we're the Detroit Pistons, right? There, there's no, you look no further than 2004. You can look to the bad boys. You can look to the, our identity is a team that has a specific culture, you know, a tough, gritty, hard-nosed basketball culture. And yeah, maybe the rules have changed. Maybe the game has changed. It's a little more offensively focused now, like you said, Mike. But one thing that's never going to get old in sports is bringing in guys and filling your locker room with players who know what it means to work hard, know what it means to be coached, and can come together as a cohesive unit and have greater success, you know, become greater than the sum of their parts because they all have the right attitude. They're all buying in. And at the end of the day, they're a team. You know, it's not a bunch of individuals out there just counting stats. It's a team and teams win at the highest level. So that's a great point, Tommy. I completely, completely agree. Yeah, that like like just exactly what you said. That was me a couple of years ago. I had I didn't believe in like the culture stuff and that that was like a feasible option. That felt like a fairy tale to me because you never see a team turn around their culture like this in one year. You know, you think about Miami. Uh, San Antonio, these are the teams that they have like a tradition of trying this hard. And that is like, that's the sort of thing. Obviously, every team wants to try their hardest and be the best they can be and bring in those guys. But you never see that happen like this quickly. So 100% like this, that was one of the brilliant things that Weaver did. And maybe it's even underrated. We've talked about that plenty. But the fact that he brought in these guys who work so hard, uh, it kind of, it, it, it makes you believe that whoever they bring in, you're going to get the most out of them. And that's very exciting. And that's and that's another reason like why I really like that we're sticking with Casey, because I think Casey is a guy who can get the most out of these guys. He maybe isn't the best offensive coach and maybe not the most creative guy. But as far as developing this talent, I think he's going to do his best there. And I have hope for that. I would say when it comes to Miami, uh, one of the reasons why they all you know, routinely try hard is because if they don't, Pat Riley will cut them. But, uh, uh, you know, joking, of course. But, yeah, I, I agree with the importance of culture there, and Weaver has done a good job with that. And I suppose it's probably easy to forget about the importance of that because of a couple of things. I mean, number one, this, this league is just so overwhelmingly top-tier talent-focused at the moment. But... Uh, also, like uh, for as much as culture was a big deal in in the last championship win, and and for the bad boys as well, uh, Dumars in his in his later days certainly didn't focus on culture at all. Like I, I don't know how that, that certainly there was a huge change there. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I've always I know this. Uh, well, whatever the case, I I've I've never been entirely sure if if Joe Dumars did not just catch lightning in a bottle in his earlier years as general manager because. Uh, because things just took a baffling turn for the worse in, in 2008. But uh, that's, you know, it's neither here nor there. Um, maybe a discussion for, <laughs> you know, the period between free agency and the beginning of the season when we'll have a little less to talk about. But, uh, and then of course uh, his, his successor, uh, you know, Stan Van Gundy, uh, a name that for me still lives in infamy. Uh, had absolutely no eye for culture whatsoever of any kind, period. None at all. Uh, I mean, <laughs> we, we've been over it. And, and again, uh, I, there's no need to, to visit that again at this moment. But yeah, it was easy to forget that that could be an important thing. And, and it's a big deal. And it's, 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 a lot of, it's a lot of fun also to watch a bunch of guys who are going to go out there and try hard and play for the team every night. Uh, that said, it's of course worth remembering that... Uh, and you said, Dante, that it's a little more offensively, offensively focused. I know there's just a figure of speech, but it's tremendously more offensively focused now. For sure. I mean, yeah, the defense you could play back then is illegal now. And uh, and the NBA did that largely because of the Spurs and the Pistons. It was a lot of fun to watch them play if, you, if they were your team and horribly boring if they weren't. So you've the culture is a big deal. 
uh, it's one of these it's one of these big things like uh, these things that are particularly important for a smaller market team that's not just going to be able to you know to to accumulate an enormous amount of talent but it's also fun to watch and it fits with the Detroit ethos so you've got the culture you got the hardworking guys yeah you also have to have the talent though that's and I know neither of you guys think any differently but it's just a it's um Tom Gores was all about the winning culture but it's like you got to have the right guys uh, you're not going to turn a team into uh you're not going to build a winning culture just by trying to win you got to have the right guys the, the people you need to win and uh for all he was all about the winning culture that guy by all accounts loved Drummond who is the most anti-culture guy I can think of and uh the uh you know I I I don't believe the the uh the rumor posted just by one single small time unnote sports reporter for a small time sports website that he vetoed trades for Drummond. I don't believe that, but uh, yeah, but, but the culture thing has been good. And I think, you know, I think, I think that's great. Yeah. There, there's a couple of things you said there, Mike, that I wanted to touch on quick. And the first one is no, for sure. I, I don't think either Tommy or myself are under any, you know, disillusion that, uh, it's enough to put everybody's hands together and then do a little cheer and and, and <laughs> be able to go out there and win in the NBA without having actual legitimate talent. So there, there's a blend. Yeah, of course between, not. I, I didn't think otherwise. No, 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 for sure. But the, but the point remains that there's a blend between talent and culture. And I think um, it's like you said, Joe Dumars, he captured lightning in a bottle and you saw a lot of success very quickly and then it tapered off and well, tapered off. is not really the right word. It was a disaster towards the end. And the, the, it's the difference between talent and culture um, as separate entities and then a blend of the two is I think when you blend the two, you can sort of have sustained success, right? Because it's one thing to have talented players, but you know, these leagues are becoming more and more, not just the NBA, but mostly the NBA are becoming more and more player friendly and player mobility is at an all time high. And so players, number one, are not going to stick around uh, just out of the goodness of their hearts. And number two, the chemistry that a team builds or the chemistry that a team doesn't have can obviously impact winning or losing later down the line. So what it comes down to is, can you blend culture and can you blend talent? And if you get those two things, that's when you have, like you said, Tommy, like the Spurs, like the Heat, these are organizations that their mantra is winning you know they're not sitting there saying let's restore the spurs let's restore that these are good teams and they're consistently good teams year in and year out not just because they have good players but because they have a good culture and you know there's i'm sure there's lots of pistons fans are probably lions fans too you're seeing this with the lions as well they've come out of the like a dark and scary age versus now i don't know if the lions are going to be good but it's like mike said a team that has a good attitude and has a good mindset is a lot more fun to watch. And you see it with the lions and you certainly see it with the Pistons. You know, I, I'll never forget. And we've talked about this a few times before, but I'll never forget Reggie Jackson um, <laughs> crashing the Blake Griffin interview when Blake was talking about how we need to play better and we need to stop collapsing. And Reggie gets in the frame and starts making these stupid faces. And yeah, it was funny and we can laugh at it, but Anybody who doesn't think that that reflected a deep-seated issue with the organization or with the locker room or with the team, they're wrong. Like when players are not on the same page, discontent is rampant, resentment is rampant, and that is not a sustained recipe for success. So Mike, you said, or you made tons of great points. It's about having more fun watching these guys with a good culture. And then it's, yeah, it, it could be sustained if you manage to blend those things. So yeah, I completely agree with you. Yeah, I would say, uh, Mike, I don't know if I've ever really talked about the Red Wings. I guess I have talked about the Red Wings in this podcast before. I used to uh, be a really big fan of the Red Wings until uh, I really got alienated by uh, by Ken Holland's management philosophy. Uh, you know, I ended up just watching a lot more of the Pistons uh, to understand Van Gundy. You know, we're just so much better managed. It's kind of funny, but uh, <laughs> but I digress. One of the things that Ken Holland did was studiously avoid bringing any bad locker room personalities in, and that I appreciated. He had, he had a ton of flaws, a ton of other flaws, general manager. And again, maybe I'm one of these kind of uh, dead period. Uh, should be like between pre again between free agency and, and preseason. Uh, we can we can talk about it at Detroit sports, but uh, you know that that was one thing I appreciated he did. Yeah, and anybody who was not a good locker room presence and and did not buy in, and there were very few of those. Uh, some of you might remember Sean Avery. Uh, who is just a pest and, you know, maybe a little bit endearing if, uh, so if you're much watching fun. him. So much fun to watch, I thought. Yeah. 
Yeah, if you're not on his, you know, if he's if he's uh, if he's on your team, maybe. But yeah, yeah. but he, Ken Holland, said just didn't take the game seriously, and uh, that ended up being the truth. Uh, so that was one of the reasons he was uh, he was sent out. So uh, it's it's also worth mentioning, looking at Troy Weaver. That I mean, my goodness, we've mentioned this before, but look at the roster now compared to how it was last June when he took over. Uh, Bruce Brown, I believe, was the first domino to fall. And now Sekou Dimboya, who was drafted at the age of 18 in, 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 uh, in, 20, in 2019, in June of 20, 2019, is the longest tenured member of the team. And geez, who is it after him? I don't really know. Was it... Uh, like drafted after him? No, the, the, the player who's second oh, longest, longest tenured, tenured on the team. Oh, the, uh, whoa, second longest tenured. One. Is that Killian? Uh, it's it would be right. I think so. So yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it would have been Musa if he uh, you know if he had stayed with the team. But yeah, Pistons legend Musa, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it, it's it's definitely. I mean, don't get me wrong. I do not miss the roster the Pistons fielded in, in 2019, 2020. Even the uh, yeah, there's just been so much change over over the past year, and it's it's been very refreshing. It, it hasn't always been relaxing. It's a lot easier at this point to look back and and say, you know, my goodness, this worked out so well. But it's just the 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 degree, the metamorphosis, or the start of the metamorphosis, rather, under which the, which which the team has undergone uh, under under uh, Troy Weaver's managerial watch has really been quite interesting to watch. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm thinking right now of of this uh, quote from Winston Churchill. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember exactly. It was this after the Battle of Britain, maybe? Uh, who said uh, this? Uh, this isn't the beginning of the. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Says this is this isn't the beginning of the end, but it may be the end of the beginning. That's kind of how I'm, I'm feeling about the rebuild at this point. There's still a ways left to go, but uh, it's definitely the first step. I would say is has been a pretty big success. For yeah, if we get the first pick, I think we should draft uh, Winston Churchill. <laughs> Probably do. Winston. Uh, yeah, you're gonna Winston, have to reanimate yeah. him first. Not Cassius Winston. Winston Churchill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's a good uh, That's a good move. Definitely a that? culture guy. He's no, a good Winston leader. Definitely a culture, culture guy. guy. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, he uh, he was uh, a a very capable leader throughout the uh, the most terrible war in human history. I'm not sure if he has the athleticism to really play in the NBA, though. Not just because he's dead, but because when he was alive, he was uh, he's kind of a portly fellow. But uh, anyway, <laughs> I like history. Old school Whatever. center. Old school center. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you got it, Tommy. Yeah. What do so, you think, Tommy, about this whole culture discussion? I know you mentioned it at the beginning, but what do you think about the idea of blending culture and talent for sustained success? It's necessary. Because this team is never going to be the team that, unless we like hit on miracles in the lottery, we're never going to be the team that's just overwhelmingly talented. I don't think we're going to see a recreation of OKC. So I think you'd have to make the most of the guys. It has to be a closer to 2004 where it's just like the team plays really, really well together, plays really, really hard, uh, more than we're just going to out-talent you. So in that sense, we're on the right track. It seems a lot more feasible to put a team together that just puts everything together then yeah we just have three superstars and we're just gonna outscore you regardless yeah i i think so again i was i was spoiled really watching the red wings growing up uh when it came to even the the teams with uh you know the the 97 98 2002 team and uh and also the 2008 team in which the best players, aside from Fedorov, who could be a little bit of prima donna at times, but the best players were super hard workers who were just focused on getting the win, and then they were not going to play for themselves at all. Like, uh, I don't remember who said this. I think it was Chris Draper, actually. And I believe I've said this in the podcast before. Whatever, whatever I'm just going to say it again. He said, uh, you know, when you see... A guy like Steve Eiserman, who Steve Eiserman is one of the best players in the history of the NHL, like probably a top 20 player of all time. And 
he when you see a guy like that going out and throwing his body on the line, putting his body on the line and grinding and blocking shots and whatnot, it's kind of you know hard not to do that yourself. And as Darren McCarty who said, you know, he put up a lot a lot of statistics, but the only one he cared about was the win. So, uh, yeah, uh, culture is not only I mean it's it's a big thing, and it it's uh, it. It's always been something. I was certainly aggravated with certain players in the recent recent past who are not willing to put them the team over themselves. And, and this team seems, with the possible exception of whatever, I mean, I'll just say it. Josh Jackson occasionally sticks out like a sore thumb. But it's not just that culture is is a necessary, is a really helpful thing, a necessary thing. It's also, you know, from a fan perspective, just very very enjoyable to watch. And also, you do have that kind of Detroit basketball ethos, and that's that's really what it's about. And it's it's nice to see the team working in uh in that direction yeah yeah i'll just say mike you're very very lucky you got to grow up watching the red wings because i i've loved sports for as long as i can remember but i and and detroit sports in particular but as far as hockey is concerned i grew up a leafs fan so i never i've never seen i'm hoping starting this week and, and and i know this sounds crazy but me as a fan um just of sports in general when i've actually cared about a team whether it's baseball football hockey um, or basketball. I've never actually seen any of my teams advance in the playoffs. I know that that's crazy, but I, you know, I'm hoping Toronto does it against Montreal coming up, but that's kind of ties back into, to what we're talking about. Like, I, I don't know about you guys. Well, actually I do know. I'm sure you guys are hundred percent in agreement with this, but I'll take one championship and I'll cherish it, you know, for the rest of my life for any of my teams. But ideally, you know, it's not just, you're like the Philadelphia Eagles, you win a Super Bowl and then you're a garbage organization a year later, or you just catch lightning in a bottle and then you fall apart. Like what would really, really make me happy as a fan, as it would all of us, is to be transformed from a team that needs a restoration to a team that can be a model for other organizations to, you know, emulate in their path to sustain success. That I I don't even not to not to be too too glum about it, but I have no idea what that's even remotely like, and I, and I would love to experience something like that someday. So I mean, look, the Lions are on the right track. The Tigers, eh? The Leafs, we'll see what they do this year. But I think the Pistons are pointed in the right direction for sure. So I'm I'm holding out a lot of hope, and I feel like Troy has inspired a ton of confidence, and and he's built a good organization around him, a good team around him, and exa- it's exactly like Tommy said. When everyone's working cohesively, we're bringing in the right players who execute, you know, the the right actions, and they have the right attitude, and maybe it'll lead to something that that's prolonged, you know, a prolonged golden age of success, and that remains to be seen. But I'm I'm hoping for it for sure. Hundred percent agree with you. I think the culture's on the right track, and I I think at this point it's just gonna be bringing in the talent. So I'm excited to go into the draft stuff this summer, and uh, I hope that you guys are too because this is a big big summer for the Pistons in terms of their draft lot and the lottery and their their draft picks. So that's definitely gonna be something we talk about. Yeah, it's Jalen Green season, baby. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, that seems like a good place to stop this episode. So as always, thank you all for listening. We will catch you next time.